episode 58, Where Are They Now? with Dan Wynn, the great curator, part two, bonus. Hey, card fam. So this is the episode that no one asked for. And I do say that in jest because I am only now finally getting around to publishing the second half of my recording with Dan, the great curator. And we recorded around Halloween time. And the first half published or dropped uh, a little bit over a month ago, um, I think around November 9th. So, you know, what's interesting is since that time, And it's been a little bit over a month. No one, not a single person asked me where the second half of that conversation uh, was. And that's kind of surprising to me. Um, It just might mean my engagement is just getting really low. (laughs) So I talked about all the reasons why uh, that this was the case. Um, It wasn't by design. Just a lot of things have happened in the hobby. I won't rehash all those things, but I did talk about that in an earlier episode. But I do want to say for those of you who are waiting for this episode to drop and we're doing so patiently, um, you know, thank you so much for doing so. And of course, thank you so much, really, truly, uh, for listening to this podcast. Uh, I'm so excited for 2024 and what that will bring uh, for this podcast and I don't know, my content and just my hobby journey, your hobby journey, just, you know, just seeing what is in store for 2024 is going to be really interesting. So um, before I get to Dan's episode, I will put in here a read for my card post, a new sponsor for this podcast. Uh, This, you know, may, the timing is interesting because, you know, we start this second half because I I listened to it before I um, started recording this intro. We uh, started talking about how people monetize content, the hobby. And at the time of this recording, again, around Halloween time, um, I had not taken a single sponsor uh, and a single, uh, a single sponsor dollar. And um, that has now changed. And I do want to thank the head of my card post, Mark Hill, for the sponsorship. Also, Arena Club. Uh, I don't have a read for them now, but um, you know we did come to an agreement. And so, you know, it's something. These two sponsorships uh, and sponsorships in general it, within the hobby. It's definitely a topic that I have been thinking about in the back of my mind about you know to to publish or make content about. Um, in a podcast form or, you know, Instagram reel, uh, because I do think that there are some misconceptions about sponsorships in the hobby. And I would like to share, you know, as much as I can without, um, you know, divulging specific, maybe dollar amounts, but maybe ranges, not just the money part, but just, you know, the terms and just kind of how things look, um, just to give you a glimpse. And, I am still trying to figure all that out because I, you know, I definitely don't want to like step on people's toes, but also no one's like trying to censor me. Uh, that would be a big no, no. I think I would not want to work with anyone who would want to like control my content. So thankfully no one's doing that. So, you know, be on the lookout for that content in the future. I just have to kind of like, you know, wrap my head around all of that. Um, but I, I do think it's an interesting topic. So, okay, uh, this second half, I did listen to it, like I said earlier, um, you know, I wanted to create the show notes and description for this podcast episode. 
And you know what's really wild is <laughs> one of the questions, uh, because we get into Q&A from the Instagram listeners, one of the questions came from Rob G, the sports car therapist. And I mean, geez, it just goes to show you how much happens on a hobby in the span of a month. Um, you know, just time really does fly in this hobby. But, you know, that's also what they say when you're having fun, right? So, uh, you know, it's really interesting that we field a question from him. And, you know, he, you know, I've given my thoughts on that already. And, you know, it's uh, when I'm recording this intro, it's December 15th. And uh, just, wow, just th this past month has been, I don't know, it's, it feels like every month or every week, every day, there's just something. Um, but, you know, it's it's uh, definitely makes for a lively discussion. So uh, let's see what else. I would say even if you don't like the great curator, or actually maybe especially if you don't like the curator, I would encourage you to listen to this episode. I know sometimes in the past I'm like, turn it off, don't don't listen to this. But, you know, I, I feel like especially in the last few minutes of this second half, uh, of the conversation. So this, what is it? Episode 58. Um, much as people want to malign Dan, you know, he, he is a real person. And I really do think that a lot of you who may be some of the detractors, um, would miss folks like Dan if they left the hobby, because much as they can be polarizing, which you know, I admit, cause he's not for everyone. Um, you can't say that he's not entertaining and you know he does provide value uh you know my opinion as opposed to people who just want to criticize you know uh the man in the arena for instance um so i would definitely encourage folks uh to create their own content you know to put yourself in the shoes of a content creator um, I know it can be daunting, but just, you know, and I'm not saying everyone has to start showing their face on camera, but, you know, I feel like the more you do do things like that, you can start to have more empathy for people who do do that. And, you know, that is ultimately the essence uh, or the theme of this podcast is, you know, try different things and see what you like, see what you don't. But at least you can say that you tried and also maybe in doing so, you can uh get some more empathy for people who do do those things. And so I think that's all I wanted to say uh, to start this long awaited, really only me and, and Dan and to Dan's credit, he wasn't like, when are you publishing it? When are you publishing it? He was just patient and he was nice. And he's like, I can't believe, are you still doing that podcast? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's still going on, I guess. So again, um, after this intro, that'll be a, there will be a quick little read from my card post. Um, if you listen to uh, a couple of episodes ago, you will have heard it. And so thank you for listening. If you have any questions about my card post, um, I really like them. And so if you would like to reach out to me, I'd be glad to answer any questions or direct you to Mark, uh, Mark Hill, the, the owner of my card post. And um, yeah. I'm just, I'm just really ready uh, to get rolling on this episode. So without further ado, I bring you the second half of my conversation with the great creator, Dan Nguyen. And oh yeah, if, if you need a refresher, go back and listen to the first half. Um, you know, why not? I mean, it's free. It's there. Um, it's episode 49.
So again, that was what is it? My notes say November 9th. That's when it was uh, published. So enjoy. Have a wonderful holiday season. Hey, card fam. You ever feel that sting like I have when you sell a card online only to see 12 to 14% of your hard-earned money just vanish in seller fees? It's almost like a penalty for using online platforms. But here's the game changer, my card post. Instead of those frustrating fees on every sale, I just pay a small monthly subscription. So that way, I get to keep a lot more in my pocket. My card post is a place where collectors like us come together. It's about building new relationships in a trusted community where we can all safely buy, trade, and sell, BTS. And that's what I'm about, community building and safe transactions. If you want to join, it's free to set up an account if you only want to buy. But if you want to sell and trade as well, you can get started for as little as $9 a month. And you know I got to hook you up for listening. Use promo code DENNY when you join and you'll get 30% off your first three months. And I'm already there. I have my shop. I'm buying, trading, and selling, and most importantly, connecting. So go to mycardpost.com and use my promo code DENNY, D-E-N-N-Y. Come check it out. I think you'll really like it. So see you there where my card post every night is trade night. Um, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, I, I would like to inelegantly, uh, transition to, uh, monetizing the hobby because that's something that I've been grappling with and I've talked to you about it and other people and trying to figure out when you say these folks, uh, who are making criti criticism content or participation, uh, participating, uh, in the hobby, they're hate yeah. keepers, they're hate keepers. I, I, made that comment uh, uh, a while back to yeah gatekeeping and hate keeping uh it's interesting people have called you a gatekeeper but i don't think that's the case but we can get to that too but um when it comes to that type of content like i have not monetized my content at all there's no way to monetize instagram content i know there's ways to make ads on youtube and like it's like superman uh it's like uh in the office space where they're like pennies on pennies it all adds up or whatever but I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, I know you've taken on promotions and sponsors in the past. Shout out to Mr. Minty, I guess. This is where you can plug them if you want. But how does that all work? I mean, my appearance on uh, the <laughs> right there with Hobby S. Thompson is Mr. Minty's product. Use code curator 25% off mrminty.com. Okay. Sorry about that. There you go. Obligations done. Done. Contractually obligated to do that. Um, yeah. Um, but like, how are people when you say like, you know, your time, you know, we all have time that's worth, you know, that's uh, it, it's got to be worth our time. And, you know, I know my wife is like, when are you going to actually like not spend money in the hobby? And you keep saying you're going to self fund the hobby. When is that going to actually happen? And I'm like, I don't know, like, I'm still, I'm still trying to figure that out. But um, I mean, can you, you know, in this podcast format kind of talk about how people start doing things like that? Yeah, so I think the the common misconception that people have in the hobby is that 
if you want to monetize in the content space, you got to make, you know, you got to make content. You got to have a YouTube channel. You got to have a vlog. You got to go around and do deals and basically get a bunch of followers. And if you get a lot of views on the type of content that you make, you get paid from YouTube or Instagram or whatever, right? That is the, I guess, the, the, what I call the misconception of most people in the hobby, because in reality, once you get to that point, even, even if you're at a level like Jeff Wilson, where you have like over a hundred thousand followers and you get tens of thousands of views per content, the, the way that you're paid out on that stuff is very minimal. I mean, it's not worth the time. It's not worth the, the investment for the, the level of production that you have to pay for to get that type of content, right? You make a couple hundred bucks a month, you know, mm -hmm. It's not even enough for a car payment, basically, um, for most people. So that is kind of like you learn that pretty quick. You learn that pretty quick in the hobby. And what I've kind of, you know, the path that I've taken, there's there's several ways. There's several ways you can monetize within the hobby, right? Sponsorships is one, you know, um, uh, things like that. But the way that I kind of look at it is to I, I look at it from a very high level and long term in in regards to trying to build a brand within the hobby where people associate you with something you know you have a great reputation and people associate you with something in the hobby whether it's you're super knowledgeable whether it's you you're great at flipping cards or whatever it is or you're super entertaining they acknowledge you because you built up a brand mm -hmm. and if you can reach that point where you build up a brand and people just know you by your name or your face then you can start to monetize that by doing partnership deals with companies, products, um, people out there. And that is that is the real opportunity. And when you get there, then you get all the doors open up to you. You you get, you know, you can get um, uh, contracts where you get paid salaries. You can get investment opportunities. You can get other type of non uh non-cash deals that you can turn around and later monetize in a different way. So there's a lot of value that comes out of that. And that's where I think people are really, you know, if you're in the content space, you really have to start thinking about that versus just trying to build up um, as many views as you can and, and get a following. Because what people tend to do, <coughs> excuse me, what people tend to do is I feel like I call this the Mr. Beast um, <laughs> the Mr. Beast uh, effect where mm -hmm. they try to be, they try to be big every time, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I just did a $10,000 deal. Oh, I just did a $50,000 deal. You know, oh, I flipped this card in a day. They try to like one up themselves and do really crazy, crazy over the top type of content. Um, and that stuff is just not relatable, you know? people it, it might be fun to watch right mm -hmm. but it's not relatable and it's not sustainable within the content space so i think that you know for me personally i just i try to build a brand around the things that i do within the hobby um and i try to build relationships with people and com people and, and different companies and things like that and that's that's worked out well you know I, i'm i'm not like jeff wilson or anything like that but i'm i'm definitely i've got sponsorships for my little youtube channel so that's kind of cool and i made a little bit of money and i'm building uh these opportunities and i just you know hope it hope it continues and see where it goes awesome well i i'm still grappling with it like currently again just kind of i guess mini shout out to arena club 
uh, I'm doing a giveaway with them and I did not, it's not a sponsorship. It's just a, Hey, uh, you know, we'd like to maybe help you celebrate getting 6,000 followers and all this and that. And, um, you know, I guess having a podcast, uh, as a prize wasn't good enough. Cause there was like seven entrants, but you know, this card, it's like a, you know, estimated somewhere around $500 and it's a Michael Jordan and everyone's like, Oh yeah, you know, I'll, I'll follow and tag and put stories and all that. So, um, I totally get, uh, the, the you know, like, you know, what I, would I consider someone like that in the future, like some sort of partnership thing? Sure. I mean, but I think maybe right now it's just more of a building relationships type of situation. And so, um, you know, there have been like marketplace competitors, uh, case competitors, like paraphernalia accessories, competitors who have kind of like talked to me. Right. And then maybe some soft offers or some negotiations floating around, but I just haven't been able to pin anything down because I feel like, feel like whatever move I make, it's like, in some ways, whatever move I make, it will be the right move. And there's no like, I shouldn't second guess myself. But then me being who I am, I just feel very like, I don't know, maybe the word is skittish or nervous to make a move. Because once I make a move, then people will be like, ah, he's been doing this whole thing for money. I knew it. You know, this guy thought he was a true collector. And now he's just like, he's a grifter, just like everyone else. And it's like, man, like, I, I just feel I guess I feel kind of scrutinized and I don't know if it's me just being too hard on myself, but I also know that whenever I wear something, I get comments, mostly good, but sometimes not good, but I'm still in the point where I put, I put something out there and people will just comment on just things that I think they would not comment on. And that's kind of a strange place to be in, I think for me, you know, something that I've learned you know, in the last few years of my life, as I've achieved a level of, of success personally, professionally, inside and outside of the hobby, is that you're always going to get people that will criticize you for achievements because it's a it's more of a reflection on themselves, right? Mm -hmm. They're jealous. Oh God, why does he get that? You know, I I should get that. You know, I I deserve it, right? I'm better than him. People will hate on you for that, or people will secretly be rooting against you you know they might say oh congratulations but in their mind they might say oh you know he's gonna fail or or if you do <laughs> fail at something they might they might say i knew it i knew it right <laughs> that's just that's just how a lot of people are unfortunately you know so you just kind of have to um kind of tune that out the best that you can and and do what's best for for you your family the people that are closest to you the people that are generally happy um, and, mm -hmm. and, and are rooting for you because you're always yeah. going to have those people that are going to try to bring you down because it just comes from they don't want to see other people succeed. You know, they're just jealous, essentially what it is. Right. And you don't need them. You don't you don't need their approval. You don't need anybody's approval, but you especially mm -hmm. don't need theirs. And the right. way that I kind of look at it, this is what I kind of realized because I had a lot of people attacking me, too, for various reasons over the last year or so. I just think to myself, like, why would I care about somebody's opinion who I've never met in real life, who I don't know, who I, I don't know what they look like? I don't know their name. Why would I care if they leave a comment criticizing me? You know, why would I let that one comment um, stay in my head and ruin my day versus all the other positive comments that, that, that come out, you know? And that's just that kind of perspective that you need going forward. And in the content space, it's it's rough, dude. I'm, I'm telling you, you know, we've had private conversations before where you know we're just we're just out there trying to 
trying to figure this out, right? This is mm -hmm. still a relatively new thing in the hobby where people are making content and making money off of the content within the hobby space. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that when they see somebody get a, a big sponsorship deal or attached to a company and they see them getting resources from that, you know, they don't understand that it takes to it, the, the level of commitment and, you know, the level of commitment that it took to get there is significant. Like, you know, just you looking right now to pay for this stream yard. Yeah, uh, man. <laughs> that's money every month. That it mic is. you're using, the headphones, the time yeah. that you're mm -hmm. taking away from your family. All this is a commitment that people just don't credit when they see people reach a certain level of achievement or success in the hobby. And I think that, you know, that's just the way it is. So you have to kind of tune that stuff out and, and just continue to go forward if you're for as long as you're willing to, you know, when it, when it starts to feel like you're not getting the reward that you want and it becomes more like a, like a job to do this, mm -hmm. then I think that's when you can reconsider things. I hope, I know that helped me a lot. I hope that helped listeners who, whether you're, you are a content creator or who wants to make content. Um, you know, it's interesting. It's like, none of what I do feels like work or a job. It's so much fun to me. Like when I, I think people don't still don't believe when I say like, all the content I make and even this podcast, it's it really, I love it. It's so much fun. It's almost like me giving back to people who make content in the hobby and also out. I mean, there's some, some of the, well, not to other people maybe, but for me, some of the funniest things that I make are inspired by things completely outside of the hobby that I kind of, you know, bring into the hobby. Like, you know, I kind of adjust it. And so um, can I just talk about something just to pivot real quick? Uh, you know, this is a great conversation, but can I just one, one thing one thing I want to say sure. just to kind of keep us on track too? Sure. I do have to leave in about 20 minutes. So I yes. do want I think that we should get to at least two questions because you did make that post. There's so like 50. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll try to rapid fire that, but definitely go say say whatever you want to say. Here, here, here's the thing. Transition. Spe speaking of content and how much you don't monetize, you literally so when I wrote my notes, um, I saw that you had 2.6 million views. Mil 2.6 million views on your video where you it says busted now. I, I, that's what I was about to say. Now it's at 2.8 million views busted by TSA when they were checking out your slabs going through uh, one of the airports. Do you know, you, you remember which airport it was? Austin airport. Austin airport. It's insane. 2.8 million views. You, you don't collect a single cent off that, I think. Or do you? No, no. Yeah, that's... you don't. Yeah. That's the wow thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So let's. I just wanted to make that note, and of course, uh, shout out to Mr. Minty. So, let's get to the questions because you don't only have twenty minutes. I've been trying my best to keep these under an hour, but with you, it, it's like we go forever all the time. Uh, but thank you for being uh, the first real two-time uh, guest. Uh, I guess Rob's was a, kind of like an asterisk. So it's funny. Champ. Time champ yeah, right here. Two-time champ. This question is, actually comes from Rob G, the sports car therapist. You were on his podcast. Uh, I, I forget exactly how long ago, but I listened to it, and it was a really good episode. Mm -hmm. uh, his, his question, I asked him, hey, Rob, is there a question that you would ask that you didn't get to ask Dan because you guys ran out of time? So his question, and shout out to Rob. And I feel like if anyone's listening to this, they already listen to Rob because he's like one of the best podcasts uh, for the hobby out there right now. So does being an international man of mystery ever get tiring? <laughs> well, that's clearly a joke, but um, I would say no, you know, because uh, 
it's always rewarding. Like I know he's joking around, but like if I can just kind of spin into like maybe more of a serious answer. Sure. It is. It's really cool to live in this hobby content space, make content, interact with people online is one thing, right? Through comments. But when you actually go out somewhere and somebody actually recognizes you mm -hmm. and, and says hello, shakes your hand, or even sometimes takes a picture with you, yeah. it's very flattering. It's super cool. And it's happened to me multiple times. I was at the airport uh, in LAX coming back from uh, my Asia trip. Somebody recognized me. That was super cool. I was in Japan one time and somebody recognized me in the mall of all places. Um, and then, you know, whenever I go to car shows, I, people recognize me at Target and things like that. So that's just really cool. And it's just really flattering. And I'll never, I don't think I'll ever get to the point where that will be annoying to me because as long as they're respectful and cool, then I love engaging with people on that level. Yeah, I agree. I, I've I've had that happen to me too at small shows and locally in my area. But I think it's pretty cool when it happens. I've actually also had weirdly people videotape me from afar, and then send it to me, and I'm okay, like, that's never that's never happened to me. <laughs> okay. That would be concerning, to be honest. Yeah, they were like, I saw you looking at the value bins. I'm like, well, again, again, yeah, that... you got to be respectful, people. Please yeah. just be, <laughs> yeah. be cool. Be cool. Be respectful. Be cool. Um, I, th that person was, uh, he, he, he's, he's a good guy. Um, I won't say his name, uh, out of respect. And, um, but no, uh, you know, it's really funny that <laughs> I can't believe I said that. So, um, when it comes to what you just said, I totally lost my, lost my train of thought. Um, it had something to do. Eh, it probably wasn't even that funny. We'll just move on, I guess. Um, your, okay. So this is from Instagram and maybe I'll come back to that question, uh, or a comment I had. This is kind of like uh, multiple people ask a similar thing. So I just want to say their names. I want to say their questions, but it's a, the general essence of the question. Okay. So Papa Jim Journey asks, how has your collection changed since the last time we recorded, which is five months ago? And what is your hobby focus for 2024? Similarly, Ro Roars Cards asks, oh, there's the little one off camera though. Okay. Interruptions. Busted in. Busted in. Kid. Stretch. Yeah, okay. Kid. So, you know, what's your hobby focus for 2024? What are you collecting? How has it changed? Roars asks, besides K-pop, what other niche cards are catching your eye? Desert Heat asks, what is your grail, current current grail, and what are you seeking as a grail? And then Doyle 11 cards, who won my giveaway, who I will be interviewing after yours, I think. His question is, do you own the 1972 Gong Andre the Giant Monster card? So that's four people, four different questions, all generally asking, how how's your collection doing since the last time we recorded and uh how is it presently and how is it going to look in the future sure okay so i'll try to see if i can remember all those questions first we'll yeah. start with papa jim's uh my collection it might the the overall um theme of my strategy my overall strategy has not changed um since the last time we talked but since i i pivoted away from trying to be like a, a daytime flipper to trying to buy more rare cards. I started doing that about maybe two years ago. Um, I, I still always try to buy the rarest one-off type of items that I can find. But I will say that um, I've expanded from cards to other rare items, such as original comic book artwork, type one photos, things like that. So I'm always just looking for like, um, like, uh, different type of verticals within the hobby where I can, again, find rare, relevant, interesting pieces that 
that resonate with me that I don't mind holding on to. And then maybe later on I can flip. So that's kind of like what I'm doing. So right now it's still uh, type one photos, original artwork. That's what I'm looking at right now. Um, what was the second question? So yeah, like what besides K-pop, what other niche oh. cards are catching your eye? So besides, so I, I mainly do a lot of modern stuff because I love modern cards, like modern wrestling cards and Marvel cards and, um, you know, uh, Star Wars, things like that. Yeah. But I have been getting more and more into vintage cards. Vintage is always an interesting play for me. Some people would argue it's the safest uh, play to make and not just like vintage baseball cards, which I, I actually like. I just don't talk about a lot, but mm. vintage Disney cards. I just picked up a bunch of, I just picked up and graded a bunch of 1930s uh, Mickey, Mickey Mouse um, story cards. Uh, so that's really cool. So anything from like the 1930s to 50s, vintage pop culture wise i'm really interested in 1940 superman 1966 batman 1930 disney cards uh things like that and then you, uh, no, go ahead go on. i was gonna move to the next question but oh uh so you went with sgc on those right i think i saw that uh yes. in your reels so i think that looks really nice with the black and white with the mickey um but none of them went over like a five i think i mean because they are so very old, right? I mean, what was it about those cards that made uh, such for such low uh, grades? Yeah, because well, they look so, so nice. These things are like super fragile, dude. They're like they're like tissue paper, and literally, like when I got them raw, I could you could poke your finger through it. That's how fragile these things wow. are. That's I beautiful. went with SGC because the person that I bought it from had already petitioned SGC to grade these, so they already mm. had the information about it. Um, when a company hasn't seen a card before, you have to petition them to grade it. And I didn't want to do that with um, PSA because I didn't have the information about these cards uh, that SGC did. Um, so just a little known fact, if you buy it, like if you have the, the, the guy who sold me these cards, he had the original box that these came with. Wow. So if you have the original box, then they can do the research and then they can grade it. But if you don't have a box, you don't know what the hell this is because there's no you know, there's no uh, information on these at all, right? Yeah, no trademark, copyright, all that stuff yeah, on the none, bottom. None of that yeah. stuff. So, um, so that's why I went with SGC. That's beautiful. And they just look really cool, but um, I just went with them because they already had the information in their system, and then they just kind of lend better with the black and white. So for the people who are audio only, that was kind of like a picture, a black and white, almost like a grayed out, almost, almost like a newspaper. Like that's how thin it yeah. looked. Yeah. And then it's like Mickey and Minnie kind of holding hands going through somewhere. And it was, it was an SGC five. Okay, cool. Um, the third question was, you know, what is your grail currently and what are you seeking as your next grail? The, the current grails. I mean, I don't, I, it's hard for me to say that I have a grail because honestly, I mean, things that are like, not to say, not to put me on like on a pedestal or anything like that and bragging, but like if I really want something, I can spend the money to buy it. You know, like if I really want to buy a ten thousand dollar card or twenty thousand dollar card, if I really wanted to, I could buy it because collectively, all the money that I've spent on everything else mm -hmm. could equal any type of card out there, Mickey Mantle card or something like that. Whether it's just whether I had the balls to spend all that mm -hmm. money on one card or not. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if I have like a Grail card that I can't necessarily get but i do want this kind of goes into uh, the last question one of the cards that i've been looking for for a while is a 1973 andre the giant rookie card mm. i think that's what that guy was asking about okay okay tsa 10 which is very Ooh. rare i have not yeah. found one of those um that would be on my list um I, I i feel like i need to pick up a 52 tops mantle psa 1 
at some point that would be on my list just just so that i could have the bragging rights to do that um uh i you know that's that's really like the the two cards that kind of stand out in my mind vintage cards okay. basically but everything okay. else i have i have all the cards that i kind of like want on on various grades i guess i can always upgrade to a higher grade and thing uh something like that um but you know i just i just kind of go through these phases where if something is i'm really interested in something then i'll kind of like dive head first into it i'll play in that area like wrestling cards for example and then i'll move to like disney cards for a couple months and then i'll go to marvel cards and then back yeah. and forth um so that's kind of like that's kind of like the, the main stuff so far that's great now you answered that um barrage of questions all at once great uh speaking of wrestling inspired sports cards asks are wrestling cards price are wrestling card prices impacted by whether or not a wrestler is a heel or a face? No, I don't think so. And I'll give you an example. Um, currently, there's a big match brewing in uh, Crown Jewel, which is the next pay per view event for WWE. It's going to be Roman Reigns, which is considered a heel, who is mm -hmm. super over, probably has some of the the most valuable cards um, uh, in wrestling today against uh, LA Knight, who is a super over baby face yeah. and his cards are rising in price. So it doesn't yeah. really matter whether you're a good guy or a bad guy. What matters with wrestling is, are you over with the crowd? Meaning, do, are you popular? Do they like you? And do you have an active storyline that gets you on TV every week and gets people excited? If you got those things, then that's what impacts your price. Yeah. All right. I love it. Thank you. Well, let's quickly pivot to the next one because I know we have you for a limited time here. Uh, Rock City Rip Boys, uh, I mean, plural, I guess. I don't know. Uh, asks, thoughts on Arena Club and other selling platforms other than eBay? I mean, I think, uh, I think a lot of people are trying to cash in on the hobby right now by starting different marketplaces. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a good business model because basically if you start a marketplace you you build the platform for people and then they could sell their cards on there and you take a commission you have like really no risk except for the startup costs and the maintenance and then just whatever advertising right um and we see a lot of it there's a lot there's so many platforms out there so many marketplaces so many auction houses you know out there i can name like 20 right now and probably 15 of them you never even heard of but they're out there and they all do well and they all you know they all make money and i think for us as consumers it's a great resource because you can go to a very obscure um site and maybe you might find something that's overlooked right i found some great things on some of these auction size sites I'm, I'm, that i'm not i can't even share with you guys because um i don't want you to go there right because <laughs> they're because i want it for myself um but there's a lot of deals out there so uh, from a consumer perspective i think that it's great um is it a bit much probably you know like arena club i've never bought anything from them but they're another startup and they do a lot of things besides just having a marketplace that they have a grading service and things like that i think right. it gets to be a little bit too much to be honest, um, from a business model perspective, I don't know if that's the the greatest uh, area to be in in the hobby. Honestly, be, just because of the the barrier of entry and the level of competition. Because when you have so many people doing the same thing, it doesn't it it doesn't become a um, a matter of who has the best service, who has the best platform, who has the best items, cards, or whatever. It becomes who has the best pricing, right? Who charges the least. For buyer premium, who has the best or the quickest turnaround service for getting paid on consignments or, or things mm -hmm. like that, or best shipping, or who has the least fees, it becomes like a pricing war. 
And I think that you'll see with a lot of these companies, they just won't be able to compete long term, you know, uh, based on the level of competition out there. Gotcha. All right. So we'll see if your answer changes in the future once they sponsor you or someone else. But that question was asked by Rock City Rip Boys. If, if Derek Jeter calls me, then I'll be I'll be a arena club man for sure. OK, I'll be their number <laughs> one brand ambassador. Oh, my goodness. Type one photos of Derek Jeter as a as a young Yankee. That, that'd be amazing. All right. So uh, here. I, gosh, um, I think we have time for maybe two. So let me do this. This is a little oh. tough one. I mean. I'm not joking. This is this is a tough one. Okay, so Pancake Analytics asks, what ethical guidelines or principles do you follow when engaging in the trading card market activities? And how do you balance your responsibilities as a content creator with your role as a market participant? Okay, so uh, what he always answers, he always asks such like convoluted questions. Okay, but okay, two, two questions so, in there. Yep. So, um, what type of ethical guidelines? There are no ethical guidelines in the hobby. We don't have a governing board. I've talked about this before. We don't. We should have a, a body that kind of sets out community guidelines for people to follow. What's cool, what's not. Some unwritten rules need to be established so that new people that come into the hobby understand what the level of expectation is. I've talked about this before in many of my earlier videos where I talk about how we have to have a certain level of conduct within the hobby and hold each other accountable to that. But we don't have anything like that right now. So the the, the terms in terms of what's ethical, I think for me, I just... I am, you know, if you're a good person, you you act like a good person in the hobby. You don't try to cheat people. You don't try to steal. You don't try to cause drama, conflict. Um, but you do whatever you need to do within the hobby. You know, if you flip cards, you flip cards. If you buy, sell, and trade. If you snipe bid on eBay. If you go to card shows and and deal with people, you know, that is all just part of the hobby. So you just do your best. And I think I, I, I don't really overthink it too much. Um, if you're a good person and you treat people, people fairly, then you're good. If you if you're not, it's going to be very obvious. OK, and there is no there's really no gray area. You know, there are good people in the hobby that have good reputations and then there are bad people that have bad reputations. And it's it's pretty obvious. And the people that try to scrutinize the people in the middle, I think maybe they're I think maybe they're just targeting them for selective outrage or things like that. OK, so that's that one thing. And then the second part of that question, how do I, what was that? How do I balance? How that do you one? balance your responsibilities as a content creator with your role as a market participant? Sure. Um, you know, with content creation, there's two ways to do it. It's either you're, you're documenting your journey. Like if you go to a car show and you're set up as a vendor, you just document it. Yeah. So that's just what it is, right? Like you don't want to necessarily, um, uh, be very misleading with the way that you edit the videos or things like that. But as a content creator, if you're sponsored, then you're, you, you owe a certain level of you, when you, whenever you take a sponsorship, you, you have a fiduciary duty to that sponsor to represent them in the way that they mm -hmm. expect. So you might be promoting a product that maybe other people don't like for whatever reason. And they might, you know, criticize you for promoting it, even though you'd never used it before or whatever, but that's just what it is. You know, that's the business aspect of the hobby. And I think people have to understand that, you know, and again, it's very, to me, things are very clear. You know, it's either something's like really, really, really shady or fake or bad or offensive, or um, it's not. And that's, that's what it is. We shouldn't, we shouldn't overanalyze too many of these things because we have to understand the intention behind it. As a content creator, if you get sponsored, then you're promoting whatever, whoever's sponsoring you. That's, that's the motivating factor, right? Okay. If you're participating in the hobby in other ways, you're obviously trying to make money to trade cards or whatever. So that's, you know, what it is. We just have to understand that. No, that's really good. Thank you. Um, 
not that he asked me these questions, but I would answer moral compass for the first one. Like you said, there's no ethical guidelines, but I think you just have to be guided by your own moral compass and what you think is right. And that's going to vary with everyone. And then secondly, uh, I don't I don't know if there are responsibilities as a content creator. I think maybe responsibilities for an influencer, but you know, this fiduciary duty you're talking about to represent sponsors, that's something that I'm gonna have to learn. I'm gonna have to like absorb and internalize that and think about that to some more because I I haven't done that yet. And it's something that I, I appreciate you saying that because that makes me, you know, have some questions that maybe I'll just ask you later down the road. Um, but thank you for that. And, you know, when it comes to the ethical guideline principles, pancake analytics, great way to ask it. I mean, some people asked things uh, maybe in more inflammatory ways, but uh, Merle, you know, he said something here. I wanted to uplift it. He said about you, you're not anywhere at Jeff Wilson's level as his coworker and friend. He's a great guy and misunderstood by so many haters living in L.A. for 26 years. I have met a lot of fraudsters, scammers and pretenders. I can 100% say Dan isn't one of those. He and his family are very good and loyal to me and my family. Well, there you go, guys. You had it right there from Earl. He, he, know, he spends the most time with me in the hobby, so he, he, he's the best source for that. But I, I do take that as a slight, though, that I'm not as big as Jeff Wilson, you know? <laughs> How dare he? I'm going to have to talk Merle, to him about it. He is like, uh, he really is genuinely like one of the happiest people I've met in and out of the hobby. He's just, oh, I, at first I thought it was like some like drug or some sort of like altered like he's he's putting on a show but he i got to meet with him and break bread with him and you and like he generally is a good guy i really i i need more i need more merle and and dan in my life so um that brings us to our final question I, there's questions from custom card artists and I, there's so many other things i, I want to get to but we're literally at the the one minute mark here and i just wanted to ask you merle it's his question Okay. And he asks a one-worded question, and that is why. And I am going to paraphrase that question to mean in a very Michael Scott way of asking Toby, why are you the way you are? Charismatic, you mean? Likeable? Uh, I don't know. I was just born that way. Uh, I don't know. Can you can you give me a follow-up? Give me something to answer? <laughs> answer? Uh, you know, I... I think I think if people want to know the answer, they have to go back to the first time I had you on, where we kind of went through your journey and your, you know, the the little curator before we became the great curator, talking about your childhood and, you know, what made you happy when you were growing up and what you collected and and all that. And I, and and I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel like some of the people who have the best collections uh, or the biggest or most expensive collections are the ones who grew up with the least when they were younger. Um, I just feel like I hear that story over and over from people. It just, they, they, it's almost like they're Rosebud, you know, they're Citizen Kane. They just wanted something they couldn't have it and they finally got it. And, you know, by no means am I saying you have the richest collection and that you were the poorest when you're growing up, but you definitely have this very like, you know, again, I would encourage people to listen to the first time that uh, we, we talked. Well, I appreciate that. That's really nice. You know, I mean, I, I'll try to answer this question as best I can. Why am I the way that I am? I just, you know, I I feel like I just, um, this is just who I am in the hobby. I've chosen to kind of put myself out there by making content. Uh, so it, it really is just a, a creative way for me to kind of um, have an outlet to show off things, uh, my, uh, aspects of my personality that I can't usually do in everyday life. I am, I'm, 
I, I work in a professional setting, so I can't always be the way that I want to be. So the hobby has allowed me to do that and, and making content has allowed me to express myself in that way. And I feel like it's a, it's a, it's been very healthy for me because it's been a great, um, uh, hobby, a, a way for me to occupy my time rather than doing other things, you know, that doesn't give me that, that type of, um, level of activity so that's just kind of how it is but basically you know i mean this is just the way i am you know like some people like it some people think it's funny some people think it's offensive i don't know it's just how how i am and um you know i don't think i'm going to change you know i think i've kind of learned to be very comfortable with who i am in the hobby and the type of content that i make and uh this is this seems to be working for me so that's what i do I'm, I'm very happy for you and I agree and I really do enjoy your content. Um, you know, I do look up to you, which is in a weird way because you're younger than me and you have less that hair guys. than me. You have less hair that how are you younger than me? And look at look at our hairlines. It's incredible. OK, well, I would say Koreans have really good hair. Um, <laughs> you know, genetically, Koreans have hair, but, you know, you do have better hair than me, but you also um, uh, a nice way of saying it is a little bit heavier than me. So I think that's fair trade. <laughs> I love Korean barbecue. What can I say? Um, that's a great way to end. Uh, Dan, the great curator, you are uh, a good person. You're a value add to the hobby. I really appreciate your time. I'm going to let you get to that other thing you have to do after this, which is uh, just a lot of pumping what you like. Um, I really appreciate you. Yep, there you go. Raise the roof. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Uh, you I'm like going to press end record, and you have a wonderful evening. Appreciate it.